0: Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I want to welcome everyone listening to us on the King's Cast. Thank you for downloading this. We trust it will be a blessing to you. We're reading from Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, sometimes called Joanna, bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. What I want to do this morning, just for a few minutes, is I, I feel with this long weekend, you know, that's happening, that sort of we're still in Easter. And I wanted to just talk a little bit more before like in a week or two's time, it's too late. But, uh, but round about this time, I still want to share some ideas and maybe do a little bit of teaching this morning and a little bit of preaching at the end on the whole, uh, story of the empty tomb. Uh, people for years, of course, have said that, you know, that it was uh, faked or uh, Jesus, you know, didn't really rise from the dead. And this this uh, cover-up, by the way, has been going on for 2,000 years. You'll find in Matthew 28 that immediately the uh, th- the guys got together and said, oh, let's make up a story, you know, tell tell everyone that the disciples stole the body. So people doing a bit of a cover-up on this amazing event. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not new. It's been going on for a very, very, very long time. So I, what, I, what I've done this week, just been looking at the scriptures, just been looking at the Easter story again, is I tried to pull out a few sort of interesting facts, things that maybe you hadn't thought about before, maybe one or two of them you won't have, that relate to the actual events of history. If you'd been there with a video camera, camcorder, things you could have recorded, things you could have noticed if you'd been one of those first Easter people. And then we'll do a little bit of preaching at the end. So this is my resurrection report. Here are a few things about the story that perhaps are just of interest to us. Number one, uh, the witnesses to the resurrection were, as I put it here, culturally unreliable. Now, just for a moment, if you're a lady in the room or listening to us on the internet, please will you sit on your hands so that none of you reach for implements of danger to hurl them. Because while today a lady can go into Cambridge Crown Court or County Court and give a testimony. This was not always the case in the first century. Women were not considered as reliable witnesses in a Judean court 2,000 years ago. If you read around, you find in some places they allowed it. In other places, they did not allow it. I was reading just over this week something from a guy called Josephus who's a Jewish historian. He wrote something that we now call antiquities. And, and his opinion of a woman's testimony in court was this. That they should not be allowed to take an oath because they don't know what they're doing. And their lives are so light and full of you know, air that they wouldn't know what they were saying. Now just explain Josephus has died. You can't go and see him, talk to him. And have a word with him about it. He's long gone. But it's really interesting that. It's really interesting that. If you were going to make up a story. If you were going to say, okay, okay, okay. Let's conceive something. Let's pretend that Jesus came back from the dead. The last thing you would do. It's say that the women were witnesses. Because culturally, in that day, that was a big no-no. And what's really interesting is this. The reason why the Bible says that the women were the ones who encountered Christ, first of all, and we're talking about uh, Mary Magdalene, James's mother Mary, and uh, Salome, sometimes called Joanna, The reason why the Bible records that those women encountered Jesus, there's just one reason. Because they did. Because those are the actual facts as they stand. So that's the first point, point of interest. In a kind of peculiar way, it actually authenticates the story more because of that scenario. Number two, things I noticed about the story. Jesus was back, for sure, but he wasn't the same. Have you noticed that as you've read the story? He was back, but he just wasn't quite the same as he was before. For example, he's able to walk along the Emmaus Road with a couple of travelers And it seems that at his own will, by his own choice, he is able to keep them from recognizing him. It's extraordinary, really. When they break bread with him, then they recognize him. But Luke says this, until that time, they were kept from recognizing him. They were kept from recognizing recognizing it. What does that mean? I don't know. You make up your mind. But it feels like it was at the will of Jesus that for a time they did not recognize him. He was back but he wasn't quite the same as he was before. There's another occasion when the disciples are all together and these are in John chapter 20. They're all huddled together and they lock the door. Thomas, go get the key. Lock the door. James, come on. Go and, go and, you know, um, bolt it. And they hid themselves away because they were understandably scared, of course, that, um, as their, their rabbi had been taken and crucified, the same thing might happen to them. And so they, they locked the door. And what does the Bible say in John chapter 20? Jesus just kind of walked through the door. Or he appeared in front of them. No, I've not been watching too much Star Trek. That's what he did. He appeared in front of them. He could walk through the door. Maybe he could walk through the stone. Who knows? Why was the stone rolled away so Jesus could get out? Maybe. But maybe just so they could get in and see what had happened. So he was able to keep his appearance, the identity of himself, from people at will. Maybe that's why Mary thought he was the gardener. I often wondered that as a kid, you know, when I was reading this story in school. I wasn't raised as a Christian, as many of you know. But when I read this story in school, I was thinking, what was Mary Magdalene on? She'd come to see, she loved him, didn't she? And then he shows up and she thinks he's the gardener. What's going on? And maybe she was disorientated and upset, but maybe something more supernatural occurred where she did uh, did not recognize him. I don't know. So he was back, but he wasn't the same. And then a week later, you know that Thomas missed the meeting, don't you, when he appeared? Don't you just love it that whenever God moves, that's always when you're not at church? Have you ever noticed that? People say, Oh, wow, were you here last week? No, oh, it's the best meeting we ever, the best meeting we, we ever had. Oh, really? <laughs> and Thomas missed the meeting, the resurrection. But a week later, there they all are. And there Jesus comes through the door again. No problem to him. And maybe this gives us a bit of a clue as to what Paul speaks about in Romans. Uh, and then later, particularly in First uh, Corinthians 15, when he talks about how we're going to be raised with a new kind of body. Maybe we'll be able to walk through doors. I don't know. Are there doors in heaven? I'm not sure. There are certainly gates to the city. But Jesus was raised glorified, different. He took off at one point, didn't he, and returned to heaven. <laughs> So he was no longer confined to the simple humanity that you and I have as he was raised from the dead. So number one, what's interesting, the witnesses were culturally wobbly. If you read the story, you'll find that when the women came to the disciples and said, we've seen the Lord, they didn't believe them. That might have been to do with their culture as well as their unbelief. Number two, Jesus was back, but he wasn't quite the same. Neither, by the way, was he alone. Because at the end of Matthew's gospel, or towards the end of chapter 27, we read that when Jesus was raised from the dead, so were a whole load of other people. I wrote in an article recently, the first Easter was a great time to be dead. It was. Because all sorts of people were Coming up out of the tombs. It said after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many, many people. It's just extraordinary. The Bible doesn't tell us any more than that. It doesn't tell us who they are, who they were. It doesn't tell us where they are now. Did they show up for the Easter parade and then say, well, we better get back in the coffins. And off they went. don't know. So he was back, he wasn't the same, and he wasn't alone. God chose to, and I believe God chose to resurrect a group of people to show that the resurrection of Christ is merely the first resurrection, and we're all going to follow in that way. Number three, things I noticed that were interesting, they struggled to grasp it all. Now, I want you to turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 9, I want to show you something here. One of the great mysteries of Christianity is that the disciples themselves were very, very airheaded when it came to his resurrection. Mark chapter 9 and verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, you with me? Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Verse 10, they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd have thought it was pretty obvious what rising from the dead meant he said I'm going to be crucified I'm going to be raised from the dead and yet they they couldn't get it what does he mean He's, he's going to rise from the dead I don't get that James do you get that Andrew do you get that I don't get that he's going to rise from the dead what can that mean it was as though there was like a cloud over there, understanding. Go to Luke chapter 24, we'll see it again. Just a little detail that adds to this extraordinary Easter story. The women arrive at the tomb. They rush to tell Peter like they were told to do and the other disciples And let's pick it up in uh, verse 9, Luke 24, verse 9. All of you there say, aye. All those there, not there, say, oh. Uh, Luke 24. (laughs) It's one or the other, mate, come on. Luke 24, verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women. You see that? Verse 11. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. See what I'm saying? It's like a block. What does he mean he's going to rise from the dead? And then the women say, he has risen from the dead. So Peter goes to have a look. He sees the empty tomb. The tomb is empty. He sees the clothes of Jesus lying there. Even the little sweatband that was, you know, left folded. And he walks away going, I wonder what's happened. He doesn't quite get it. Go, go to John's Gospel, chapter 2. John chapter 2. And we see the same thing again. John chapter 2 and verse 22. Let's pick it up in verse 20. John 2 and 20. The Jews replied. He's talking about he's going to... What sign is he going to... What sign is Jesus going to perform to show his authority? And he says, I'm going to destroy this temple... And I'm going to rebuild it in three days. And the Jews replied, verse 20, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. It hadn't quite been finished then, I don't think. And you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. He was telling them again and again, I'm going to rise from the dead. But somehow they didn't get it. Why didn't they get it? Because what happened in Luke 24 had not yet occurred. When Jesus sat with the Emmaus travelers for that little Bible study, that little meal, It says that they they were kept from recognizing him. But then it said then their eyes were opened. And on the road, Jesus is walking with them. And it says that he opened their minds to understand the scripture. I want to encourage you with this. Don't get too frustrated with people who don't see it. There's a reason why they don't see it. They can't. And certain things are spiritually discerned. Can you say amen? Amen. Certain things you need to have your eyes opened to the truth of it. And certain things can be caught in a Bible study or a sermon or something like this. But many things cannot. There needs to be a dimension of the spirit opens people's eyes. Paul prays in Ephesians for them of all the things he could have prayed for because they were, you know, doing all sorts of gospel missions and they needed, no doubt needed money and they no no doubt needed protection and they no doubt needed a hire a hall and all the other things that they needed to do as a first century church. Yet what's his prayer for them? He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be opened or will be enlightened. And we need to pray that prayer too. There are certain things that you don't understand yet. And you will only understand them when you ask the Father to show them. I'm telling you. Otherwise, our minds are kept from it. What does the scripture say? The God of this age is what? Blinded the minds of unbelievers. So we understand that from a perspective of those who believe and those who do not believe. But I believe also even within the body of Christ. Even within churches. Certain people understand things that others do not. And it's not a, it's not a, a a superiority thing. It's a revelation thing. You need to say, Lord, give me more revelation on your word. That doesn't mean more spooky stuff. That doesn't mean more weird stuff. That doesn't mean more paperback Christianity that believes everything that blows through, but that you might understand the depths of the knowledge of Christ. Amen. They struggled to grasp it all. Thank God, eventually they did. Number four. It may have been a very long weekend. The first Easter weekend could have been a very long weekend. Now you think, well, what, what do you mean? Well, turn to Matthew chapter 12, please. Matthew chapter 12. And I'm going to tell you a little problem I had when I was growing up as a little boy in a minute. Matthew chapter 12, once again, they ask him for a sign. In John's gospel, they said, What sign will you show us? And Jesus said this there's there's going to be no sign except that this temple, his body, would be destroyed and be rebuilt in three days. And in Matthew chapter 12, he adds to that information. They say, what sign will you give us? And he says, well, about verse 39 of Matthew 12, he says, the sign I'm going to give you is the sign of what? Jonah. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. And he says to them this, verse 40, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. How many days? How many nights? Three. Three nights. Are you sure? That's what he said. said it twice. Three nights. Not just three days. Like we're staying in a hotel this week for the conference. I want to know that I can be there for three days and three nights. I don't want to be thrown out at night. That's mainly when I want to use it. Three days and three nights. Can I tell you a little story? When I was a young Christian, and even when I was doing RE, as we used to call it at school, I had a big problem. And it was to do with Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Do you know what? I wasn't really hot on mats. But there was something I knew. I knew that between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, you cannot possibly get three days and three nights. You can get three days from a certain point of view. But you cannot get three nights, no matter what you do. Unless they all went into some amnesia and they forgot a day had gone by somewhere like this. I want to say to you today that just maybe, because these dates of Good Friday, Easter Sunday, this tradition was established by the Catholic Church many centuries ago. I want to suggest to you today, and if this causes you some angst, don't don't worry about it. It's just, just a little theory. But I want to suggest to you that Jesus wasn't crucified on a Friday at all. Because he definitely rose from the dead on Easter Sunday, or or on a Sunday, the Lord's Day. But the date of his... We're told that he rose on the first day of the week. That's a Sunday. But we're not told in the Bible it was a Friday. The tradition tells us that, but not actually the Bible. Now go over into John's Gospel, and chapter 19, and I'll show you something. John chapter 19... Another little interesting fact about the Easter weekend. John chapter 19, verse 31. Let's look at verse 30. Here we are, plunged right into the crucifixion story, right in the heart of it, in fact, right at the conclusion of it. And John chapter 19 and verse 30. When he had received the drink from the hyssop plant, see, they took this hyssop plant and they soaked it. And the reason they used the hyssop plant to touch his lips was it was a hyssop branch that dabbed the Israelite doorposts in Egypt. So they took the hyssop plant, they had Passover. They took the blood of the lamb. They took a hyssop branch, and they put the blood over the doorposts and lintels of their houses. You right? Everyone say amen. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Exodus chapter 12. And as they're doing this, they're using a hyssop plant to do it. And here, to fulfil that prophecy to the absolute precision, a hyssop plant is put on a stick, and it touches the blood of Jesus on his face, and prophecy is fulfilled again. Anyway, that's, that's another story, but it's just an amazing detail. And after he had taken the drink, Jesus said, I'm in verse 30, Are you in verse 30? He said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Verse 31 is really important. As we do this, what we call textual archaeology, we're looking to see what actually happened. And it says here, now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special sabbath. The old King James Version said, a high day. But here we have, it was to be a special sabbath. In the book of Leviticus, God gives a commandment that during a certain uh, span of time, a year, that there would be the Sabbath day, but there would also be another seven. It's a bit like bank holiday, really. (laughs) Not only will you get the weekend, but you're going to get a few bank holidays during the year as well. And here we have, we discover... At the time that Jesus was crucified, there was going to be a special Sabbath day. In fact, to be absolutely precise, it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so there was going to be a special Sabbath day. And so I want to uh, explain to you what I'm trying to say is this, that of course Jesus was in the tomb for three days and three nights. Because when the scripture says that they took his body down because the Sabbath was coming, they don't mean Saturday. They mean the special Sabbath that was always at that time of year for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So Jesus, perhaps crucified on a Wednesday, maybe. Wednesday evening, the stars are coming out. The special Sabbath is coming that we just read about. They take down his body, and he goes into the tomb for the whole of Thursday. Then Friday comes. Well, why don't they go to anoint his body on the Friday? Well, no, no, no. It says in Mark chapter 16 verse 1 that after the Sabbath they went to get the spices to anoint him. They didn't have spices just They went to go and purchase them and get them. So on the Friday they go and they get the spices. Then it is the Friday night, the Saturday, which is the normal Sabbath, And then Sunday morning, they arrive, and he's not there. Because three days and three nights have passed, and now he's out of the tomb. Now, that may be a bit too much detail for one or two people here, but just in case someone asks you, well, how come Jesus was in the tomb three days? and Good Friday to Easter Sunday isn't three days. And you know what? Don't argue with them. They're right. And don't tell them there's not three nights between Friday and Sunday. They're right. It's not possible. But it may have been, just may have been, a longer weekend than we think. The final one here. There was a private message for somebody. One final thing to look at. Mark chapter 16. Let's have a look at this. The final thing I noticed about the Easter story, just a little detail to to eke out that may be a blessing to us, may add to our knowledge, and this one can build us up too, that there was a private message for one particular person. Mark chapter 16 and verse 6, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Those two words before Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter. It, Peter's kind of highlighted. I wanted to know, Peter. Uh, Peter was close to Jesus, but you know, so was John. So was James. You remember them? Peter, James, and John. The original JLS, you know, the original group. The original group. What's going on? Why would, at no doubt the command of God, why would the angel say, I must tell you this, make sure that Peter gets a personal invitation to this Easter. Why would that be? Well, I don't know. But I think it might have something to do with what happened a couple of days before. Right? Because it wasn't John who stood in a courtyard, scared by a little girl by a fire, and went, I don't know him. Because as we know from John's gospel, John stood near the cross. It wasn't James who called down a curse on himself. It wasn't James who said, Lord, I'll never deny you. It was Peter, wasn't it? And one of the glorious things, just about those two words, that the Spirit of God wanted to be recorded right here in Mark. Glorious two words. And Peter. Kai Petros was so that we would know that God especially loves failures. (laughs) God especially has grace for people who have let him down. And I'm kind of glad about that. Because I'm a Peter as well. I don't just mean on my birth certificate. But I've let Christ down as well. Haven't you? I think you probably have. Times when we should have spoken up and we didn't. Times when we should have, you know, stuck to our guns. Uh, Not literally, I mean. But didn't. Times when we should have stood for what was the word of God. And we, we didn't. And he failed. He failed. And as the spirit of God who knows the secrets of all men's hearts. And I think I heard that at a recent wedding too. But it's the spirit of God who knows the secrets of all men's hearts. He could surely have known the grief that was inside that young man, that young fisherman. The Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. And from the very first beginning of the era of the resurrected Jesus, Jesus' first message is this. Tell Peter about this. I've not excluded him. I've not rejected him. I love him. And he's let me down, but I kind of knew he would. And you've let him down too, but he knew you would. Doesn't it amuse you? It amuses me that sometimes we fall on our faces here at the front of a church. And say, oh God, I'm going to do this, this and this. And just as we're doing it, God knows you're not. And yet somehow, our tears mean something to God. And Peter's tears meant something to God. I want to talk to every failure there is. Listening to me today, online and here in the hall. Everyone who's just blown it. Blown their testimony. Blown their... Discipleship, which means discipline. Blown their integrity, their purity. There's a word that comes from the tomb. The very place that could condemn us. Says this, I've got a message for you. There's grace for you. There's a new day for you. The resurrection brings a new day for you. And we learn so much about God just with those two simple words. Tell Peter. Go tell his disciples. And Peter. And you know the story that in John 21, Jesus sits down with Peter by a fire. Looks him in the eyes and says, just tell me that you love me. Tell me you love me. And if you love me, you can go And serve me now. Maybe trying to erase over the Peter's memory of a fire. Where that little girl asked him, aren't you a Galilean? That Peter's memory of a fire would not be that. But would be a memory of Jesus looking at him through the flickering flames. And saying, if you love me, go and feed my lambs. We all get it wrong. We all make vows that we don't keep. We all tell God, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and we don't do it. We all do a bit of that. Can I just say something? We shouldn't live like that. But when we fail, there's grace for us. And let me take you to one final verse. You don't have to look at it. I'm going to put it up on the screen. One final verse to explain why. In all the verses we've looked at this morning, and I'm going to finish now, we've looked at the stories from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you didn't know where they were in your Bible, you do now. But I want to bring one more verse as we finish today. And this verse is not from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it's from Paul. It's from Romans. And Paul says this. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That's a little bit wordy, so I found the good news version. Because of our sins, he was given over to die and he was raised to life in order to put us right with God. Then the message version ends with this. To set us right with God. i don't, sh- not sure I really understand this. But what I think he's saying is this. That when Jesus died on the cross. The ability, the justice of God to forgive us of all our crimes, was released. But when he rose again from the dead, he brought with him, listen, listen to this, as he rose again from the dead, he brought with him not just the forgiveness of sins, but the gift of righteousness could be given to us. And they're two slightly different things. To be forgiven of all you've done wrong is a gift of glory in itself. But to be made right with God is something even superior to that. You are not just forgiven, but God has made you a saint I was watching the news this morning. They're going to make one of the popes a saint. Well, God bless him. Let's hope he was. But you're not going to be made a saint by the church. You've already been made a saint by Jesus Christ. And it doesn't require a vote and any black smoke. And a group of men gathering around each other, dressed up as mother, but wanting to be called father. No, not at all. When Christ rose from the dead, he brings to us a gift of righteousness. Paul says this in Romans chapter 1. He says, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. When God looks at you, he sees his Son." When God looks at you, you look clean to Him. You don't look as though you've been cleaned up. You are new. You're new. You're not refurbished. You're new. Clean. Cleansed. Perfect in His eyes. Because in the Gospel, a righteousness that is from God is revealed. When Jesus rose from the dead, he brought those two gifts to Peter. The forgiveness of his sin and the gift of righteousness given to him that says, Behold, everything has become new. So I want you to be blessed. And as we Continue to enjoy this extended Easter holiday. Let us live in the light of these wonderful revelations. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.